we're learning about King Menashe and uh, the sudden eruption of idolatry that occurred during his reign. And we address the issue of uh, how the son of a loyal king, such as Chizkiyahu, can, can turn so radically to paganism. And we looked at the later commentator, commentators, historians, and they say that the answer lies with Menashe's strategic affiliations, that Menashe's reign of 55 years coincided with the peak of Assyrian power and, and prestige. And Menashe wholly embraced his role as an Assyrian vassal, not unlike his father Chizkiyahu who rebelled against Assyria. Uh, Menashe chose to be a, a vassal to Assyria. And that might have given him an unprecedented uh, 55 years of international calm and domestic prosperity and tranquility. However, the association with Assyria has its spiritual ramifications. Now, it's still tough to understand, though, how one king, a single king, can just sway the entire national religious orientation. That is, how did Judea, as an empire, just flip in one generation? In the days of Hiskiah, they're extremely righteous. And under Menashe, they're so evil that they bring about the eventual, eventual Chorban Bayit, destruction of the first temple. Well, it's important to understand that in ancient times, religion and society, they weren't separate. It's not like today. You have separation of church and state, separation of religion and state and so forth. Here, uh, in those days, in, the, in those times, religion and science were synonymous, not just state and religion, economy and religion. Uh, people explain their world through religion. It permeated all of their lives, farming, commerce, uh, everything. So a national alliance with a superpower, even if it's motivated by military protection, as long as you're exposed to their economy and their culture, that will bring a huge shift in religious orientation. And that's the way things can flip so quickly. Now, let's just go back to our, to our chapter, chapter 21. We're back to Menashe. Let's get inside the verses. The last verses we learned were verses 9 to 15. We saw the prophecy of doom against Judea. And now in the next verse, verse 16, we're going we're gonna to go back to another sin of Menashe. We went through plenty of sins in verses 2 to 7. Now we jump to one more big sin. And it says like this. Moreover, Menashe shed very much innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. So it says literally from mouth to mouth he filled Jerusalem with blood, but pelepe is an expression from end to end. He spilled so much blood. And that's in it, that's besides the sins that he caused Judea to commit. To do evil, what was in the eyes of the Lord. So in addition to the idol worship we mentioned earlier, we see now another sin of spilling blood. Now this verse is, is really important and we'll spend time on it because Menashe, as, as we said, he, he's committed a lot of sins. But up to now, all those sins that we mentioned were what we call Ben Adam Lamakom, uh, a man to towards Hashem. They were sins towards God. He was worshiping idols. He placed an idol in, in the temple. He was machis, provoking Hashem. But now this verse is the first time we see a transgression, which is called ben adam l'chavero. Ben adam l'chavero means a sin to his fellow man. And the verse shows this distinction because after it talks about murder, it talks about in addition to the sins that he caused Judah to commit. That was the sins to Hashem. But here we have 
the sin of murder, ben adam And that's the sin that's going to seal his fate. Of all his sins, it's this one that's going to cause his destruction, his fate, and the fate of Judea. Not the idol worship, but this. And it was the same thing with King Ahab. If you remember going back to that infamous king of Israel, King Ahab, who Manasseh is compared to in this chapter, there was a lot of idol worship going on in his, in his reign with Jezebel, the Baal and the Asherah, all over the place. But when was his fate sealed? It was after the episode of Navot uh, and his vineyard, Israel, Navot uh, in, from the Valley of Israel and the vineyard. If you remember that story, Jezebel sets up a false a mock trial. Navot is murdered under uh, false witnesses and so forth. And when Ahab goes to confiscate the vineyard at that point, Elijah the prophet shows up and tells Ahab that he's done. So that's uh, because we know that sins towards one's fellow man are considered worse than sins lemakom. Sins towards God are not as severe as sins towards Ben Adam That's why before Yom Kippur, if you want Hashem to forgive you for your sins against God, let's say you didn't observe Shabbat properly, you didn't eat kosher food, whatever your sins towards God were, um, if you want atonement, you first have to go to every person you may have uh, insulted or embarrassed or, or stole from. You have to apologize and, and, and get forgiveness from them. And only then you can uh, have Hashem atone for your sins towards Him. So that's the idea. First, you got to be a mensch. And then we'll talk about your relationship to Hashem. Now, um, the Rambam points this out in Hochot Rotzech Ushmirat Nefesh. It's uh, in the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam. He touches upon exactly what we said. He says the following. Even though there are other sins that are more serious than murder. So first of all, murder is the most serious because they present a danger to society. I mean, you can't have a society if people are murdering each other. You can't have civilization. Then he continues that even idol worship and needless to say, the violation of Shabbat are not considered as severe as murder. For these sins involve man's relationship with God. That is Shabbat and idol worship. While murder involves man's relationship to his fellow man. And whoever commits this sin, that is murder, murder, is an wicked, utterly wicked person. And all the mitzvot that he performs throughout his lifetime cannot outweigh his sin and save him from judgment. So there you go, you see in the Rambam, that it doesn't matter, you know, how from you are, if you're laying to fill in Rabbeinu Tam and Rashi and doing all the, uh, adhering to all the strictness of the Torah commandments, if you're not a mensch, your observance of the mitzvot don't mean anything. And that's why it's isolated here, this particular mitzvah, uh, in this verse, that he killed from Pelope, from uh, one end to the other, because it's really what tipped the scales and sealed the fate of Judea. Now the question you can ask, who is, Who's he murdering? Well, you think the prophets of Hashem weren't chastising him and rebuking him and protesting him during his reign? Of course, the prophets and the righteous people of that generation were standing up to him and they were getting killed for it. You know, much like in the days of Ahab and Jezebel when they killed the prophets of Hashem for the same reason. Anyway, we see uh, that besides being an idol worshiper here, Menashe is a mass murderer. Now the Talmud gets specific regarding who he murdered. We have in two places in the Talmud where it says that Menashe murdered the prophet Isaiah. 
Now, if you remember what we learned a few lessons ago, that King Chizkiah married the daughter of Isaiah in an effort to beget the righteous son. We saw that in the Talmud. Of course, it did not work out. Menashe was not the son he was hoping for. But according to that, Isaiah is actually the grandfather of Menashe. So he killed his grandfather. But obviously he killed Isaiah because Isaiah, as the prophet, was rebuking him for his evil ways. So let's look at the what it says now in Masechet Sanhedrin 103, gets into it. And before it does, we get a little of an interesting introduction here. It says like this, Menashe, the king of Judea, studied 55 different Panim B'Torah, B'Torah Kohanim, which means Menashe studied diff- 55 different aspects in interpreting Torah Kohanim, which is a halachic midrash on Leviticus, corresponding to the 55 years of his reign. So like we mentioned earlier, uh, Menashe had a tremendous amount of knowledge in Torah, and Ahab was greater. He studied 85 different aspects, Panim, in Torah Kohanim. So you thought Ahab was just some idol-worshipping uh, Jewish king. No, he also was steeped in Torah. He knew 85 different Panim in this Torah Kohanim. And Yeravah Menavat was greater than all of them. He studied 103 different Panim in Torah Kohanim. So Yeravah Menavat, there's no surprise there. He was obviously one of the heavy hitters in Am Yisrael that we knew all along. Anyway, that's just an interesting introduction to our subject. And now it goes on. And it brings our verse in chapter 21, verse 16. And Menashe shed a great deal of innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Now they interpret the verse. Here in Babylonia, we interpret the verse to mean that Menashe killed the prophet Isaiah. So the Gomorrah asks, where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? It doesn't say in the verse he killed the prophet Isaiah. Then they bring Rabbi Barbarchana says that the soul of one righteous person is equal in value to the entire world. So inherent in that verse that he spilled so much blood, that was the prophet Isaiah who was connected uh, all that because he was such a tzaddik. Now in Eretz Israel, they say something else. In the West, in Eretz Israel, they interpret the verse to mean that Menashe didn't kill Isaiah, but it means something else. He crafted an idol, a huge idol, so large that it was a burden requiring 1,000 people to carry it. And each and every day, he would require people to schlep this giant idol and it would kill them slowly one by one because they had to carry this thing. So either way, this is uh, not complimentary to Menashe and this explains why he was a murderer. But now in in tractate Yibamot 49, that's the next source we're going to look at, there we get the opinion again that Menashe murdered Isaiah and here we're going to get some of the gruesome details. And it goes like this. It is taught in the Brita. The Rabbi Shimon Benazai said, I found a scroll which recorded all kinds of uh, lineages and events in Jerusalem. And in that scroll it was written that Menashe, the king of Israel, killed Isaiah the prophet. And now the Gomorrah is going to expand on the events surrounding Isaiah's death. And it says like this, Ravah said, Menashe judged him as a, fal- as a false witness for issuing statements contradicting the Torah, and then he killed him. So Menashe didn't just kill Isaiah for no reason. He found halachic justification. He said, Menashe is going against Torah. And here's now the halachic debate he's going to have with Menashe. Uh, Menashe is going to have with Isaiah. Menashe said to Isaiah, Moshe Rabbeinu, your master, said in the Torah, Lo tuchal panai, ki lo adam It says in the Torah, and you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. So that's a verse in uh, 
Exodus 33, You cannot see my face. But you said, Isaiah, in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a high and lofty throne. So if you saw the Lord sitting on a high and lofty throne, how could it be that Moshe said, you can't see my face? So that's one contradiction. The next contradiction Menashe points out to Isaiah is that it says in the, in the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Ki mi goi gadol, who is such a great nation? Asher lo, asher lo elokim alav, that God is so near to it, Bashem elokeinu, bechol kareinu alav, and whoever calls upon him, Hashem is close to him. But you said in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So that's uh, in Isaiah, we say that on Rosh Chodesh and Haftor of Rosh Chodesh, that seek the Lord while he may be found, which contradicts what Moshe Rabbeinu said, that Hashem is always close to you. And so we, again, we have a real discourse going on here between Isaiah and Asher. Then he finally brings another, another contradiction. Moshe Rabbeinu said, et mispar yamecha amalei, that's in Exodus 23, which means that I will fulfill the number of your days, which means that every person has a preordained allotted lifespan that you cannot outlive. But you said in a prophecy to King Chizkiyahu, what did Isaiah say? And this is something we learned last chapter. I will add to your days 15 years. So how could Isaiah prolong Chizkiyahu's days another 15 years, if it says, if there's a preordained lifespan that cannot be changed. So what we have here is Menashe challenging Isaiah to a Torah debate. Now the Gomorrah um, continues like this. Isaiah said to himself, I know him. I know this Menashe. He's not going to accept whatever explanation that I have. I can answer those contradictions, but he's not going to accept it. And if I prove it to him, that there's no contradictions between my prophecies and what it says in the Chumash of Moshe Rabbeinu, well, that will turn him into an intentional sinner. He'll be amazed that is right now, Menashe really believes what he's saying, that I'm contradicting Torah. But if I prove to him otherwise, he'll still going to go after me. He's not going to admit it. But that would make him an intentional murderer, amazed instead of a shogeg. So what we have here is Isaiah is actually considering what's best for Menashe's spiritual situation, let him remain unintentional, a shogeg. Okay, Menashe, then Isaiah said to himself, so either way, I can't get out of this. So I'm going to try to escape. So what did he do? He uttered the divine name. That is, he uttered Yudke Vavke, Hashem Shem Beforash, and was swallowed within a cedar tree. Menashe's servants brought the cedar tree and sawed through it in order to kill him. So they're sawing through this tree, and when the sore reached to where his mouth was, Isaiah died. And the Talmud concludes, why did he die when the sword reached his mouth? Because Isaiah had spoken uh, in a derogatory manner against the Jewish people back in Isaiah chapter 6, when Hashem was trying to recruit him to be a prophet, Isaiah refused at the beginning and he said, I am in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Because he said that about the Jewish people to Hashem, he was killed when the sword reached his mouth. So those are the gory details of how Menashe murdered the prophet Isaiah. Now, I didn't see this written anywhere, but maybe that's the intention of when it says in verse 16 that Menashe shed much innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem from Pelepe, 
from one into the other. But Pelepeh literally means from mouth to mouth. So maybe that's like a reference to the mouth of Isaiah. That's like a drusha there inherent in that verse. In any case, let's finish off uh, what it says about Menashe. The Yete Devrei Menashe. And the rest of the events of Menashe. V'chol And all that he did. V'chatato. And all that he sinned. They are written the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judea. And Menashe slept with his forefathers. And he was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. And his son Ammon reigned in his stead. So Menashe... Uh, isn't buried where, where his predecessors are very buried. He's not near David. He's in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. So he did not merit to be with the righteous kings. And that ends Menashe in the book of Kings. But in Chronicles, we're going to get a little bit of a surprise, maybe a big surprise, as we often do, that we're going to see some extra verses on Menashe that are written here that might just surprise us a little bit.